Hey, welcome to the Healthy Postnatal Buddy Podcast of your postnatal expert, Peter Lab. That, as always, will be me. This is a podcast for the 10th of December 2023, and I had a ton of questions about fertility this week. I mean, an absolute ton of questions, and I thought to myself, I could answer them, or I can do what I really, really like to do when I've had a an absolutely brilliant guest on in the past, and that is grab an episode from the vault because why would you listen to me tell you some stuff that a genuinely world-renowned fertility specialist uh, uh, would actually find it so easy to uh, to answer, right? A while ago, and I want to say it was, uh, when, when was this? 2021, in October 2021, so a couple of years ago, I, would, I spoke to Gabriella Rosa, uh, who has a whole bunch of uh, a whole bunch of uh, titles and uh, behind her name, right? Um, she's a world-renowned fertility specialist. And, you know, this lady is the real deal. Best-selling author of four books, Harvard University Awarded Scholar and Founder and Clinical Director of the Rosa Institute. We're talking about everything. Uh, from uh, about IVF, for instance, how you conceive naturally even after, after IVF treatments have failed, fertility being a team sport, and there's more to fertility, uh, more to getting pregnant than just the the, the woman uh, who's trying to get pregnant, trying to get pregnant and all that sort of stuff. Um, why you need a personalized approach when you're trying to get pregnant rather than relying on what works for other people. Um she has a phenomenal success rate with her method. Uh, it was last time I checked, it was 78%. And, you know, from my personal experience, several of my clients have bought her book um, or, or got her book. I think there, there was a free download at the time. Uh, I'm not sure it's still there. It probably still is. Um, and they said it's, it's fascinating. There's a tremendous amount of good stuff in there. So, uh, you know, this is it's a no-brainer. Rather than listen to me waffle on for an hour, you get to listen to a genuine expert for an hour. How great is that? Right? So without further ado, here we go. You're an expert in the field of uh, reproductive medicine. I have several clients, members, and listeners that tell me that they're struggling to conceive a second or third child and that nothing they've tried works, even though it worked previously, uh, including IVF. What do you say to couples in that situation? And where do you even start when couples like that come to you? Yeah, look, I think it's a great question. And it's something that's really prevalent in a lot of situations for couples Typically, who struggle to conceive. You know, I've been helping couples overcome infertility and recurrent miscarriage, even when other treatments have failed, for 20 years now. Mm-hmm. And so I've been privy to lots of different discussions and situations where couples are in exactly that position. It's really interesting because I think to answer that question, we need to give a little bit of extra context mm-hmm. that is going to really help people understand not only why it happens, but what is it that they need to understand when it does? Because it's not unusual for a woman to conceive the first child and then have a period of latency, so to speak, where, you know, we need to get back into balance to be able to try again. Typically, the average kind of ideal 
uh, time in between children is around three years. And so these days when women are delaying motherhood for various reasons, mm-hmm. you know, they may not have found a partner that they want to have a child with or they've prioritised career or they've prioritised other aspects of life for whatever reason, um, we are reproducing at later and later stages in our lives. And so that can also add a level of complexity and challenge to conception because by the time you've had your first and there's two or three years to have your second, that that is also going to make a difference, you know, in the context of having a baby. But if we leave all of that aside and the fact that if you think about it, you know, we women are meant to be grandmothers by the age of 30. <laughs> if you think about it from an evolutionary yeah. perspective, you know, I mean, now we live to 100, you know, to 100. But really, if you think about our grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents, really women were grandparents by the age of 30. By mm-hmm. 15, you know, they had their first child. By 15, their child had their first child. And so 30 years so ago. scary to think about I know, right? Ready by <laughs> grandmother at 30. But the reality is that our lives have changed, our biology hasn't. And with that in mind, we need to be conscious of the fact that there are different considerations that are important. But if we look at from an epidemiological perspective, you know, if we look at populations around the globe, what we know is that it takes three months average time for pregnancy for couples to get pregnant and have a baby. Literally, it's have sex, get pregnant, have a baby, done. We're no longer having this conversation. In fact, when we are looking at population studies, the people who conceive easily and without any challenge are not even trying. Yeah. They are the people, the hyperfertile portion of the population. The subpopulation that starts to think and prepare and plan and starts trying and hasn't yet quite had the outcome that they're looking for, they are the what is called subfertile or infertile portion mm-hmm. of the population, which, you know, in reality, there are many, many things that people can do to change that so-called, you know, diagnosis. And mm-hmm. one of my, we will get into this in a moment, which is one of my pet hates in terms of fertility diagnosis is the unexplained infertility diagnosis. And a lot of people who go through secondary infertility are labelled with unexplained infertility. Now, why is that? It's not because it's unexplainable. It's just that typically in the standard health care system and medical care systems around the world, it, they're not geared to getting clarity and understanding why individually people aren't conceiving. Yeah. Because, again, we are more preoccupied from a public health perspective with population and with what happens in terms of – and also – Cost effectiveness, really, you know, so there's a huge impact of the financial component. If you think about it, if the majority of the population can see without trying and population trends are, you know, fertility trends are the same or slightly increasing, that's really all that matters across Mm -hmm. the globe. But when we bring that down to the individual and the heartache and the pain and the suffering that people go through, when they aren't able to conceive, and especially when that goes on for year after year after year and sometimes decades, the, the burden, physical, emotional, financial, on these couples is immense. So there is a, a very important reason to start to understand why these challenges occur and what to do about them 
and it becomes much more prevalent with the number of years that somebody has experienced difficulty trying to conceive. To conceive, because mm-hmm. by that point they've invested so much of themselves, of their lives, of their relationship to get to a point of I still have no baby yeah. that it becomes a, a huge trauma, right? But again, if we look at why these things occur in the first place, and we go back to population studies, we look at the fact that at Three months average time for pregnancy is typically what it takes. When that doesn't happen, we need to start asking questions because the addition of these obstacles, sometimes minor mm-hmm. as they may be, because many women who have experience or have been labelled with infertility, whether it's secondary or primary or unexplained, whatever it is, um, they will have been told somewhere along the way a couple of things. Everything is normal, just keep trying, is one of them, <laughs> right? Which always, that, it never ceases to bring, you know, uh, I don't know, like I go through various emotions when I hear patients tell me this because, you know, if everything is normal and, you know, you, you have no issues having a baby, then why don't you have one, mm-hmm. right? Or why don't you, why aren't you holding your second or third child that you so desire? So it's clear that it's, that is not the case. There is an issue. Even if you're being told that there's nothing wrong, just keep trying. Many, many couples, unfortunately, and I see this very frequently, they run out of time going around in circles, being told mm. that everything is normal, and they're trying things and trying things that they think are the right things for them, but unfortunately, they're just more of the same thing that is giving yeah. them more of the same result, you see? And so, and that's a big challenge for people because it, it makes, you know, one of the things that I hear from my patients all the time is how not only disheartened it makes them, but it makes them start doubting themselves, mm. right, on a deep, deep level. Because if you think that you are doing everything you can and you're still not getting the outcome and you're putting in the effort, the energy, the time, the money, and still you are nowhere closer to your outcome, you start to think, hang on a second, there's something wrong with me. Yeah. There's something wrong with my ability to create this, you know, natural and normal outcome that everybody else seems to be okay with. So there clearly has to be something wrong with me, which I really want to make sure if nothing else, people get nothing else out of this conversation, there is nothing wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think that that's such an important thing for women to understand and for couples to understand that fertility is a team sport. It's not one person trying to overcome infertility for two people or have a baby, whether they've had one in the past or not. Um, it doesn't happen just by one person putting in the effort because we do need two healthy gametes in order for that to happen. So, and when these obstacles or these minor factors start to accumulate in a person's situation, what ends up happening is this. You add one, and again, this is based on epidemiological research and population data around the world. You Mm -hmm. add one minor factor to the equation, and all of a sudden we go from an average of three months' time to pregnancy to an average of two years. Mm -hmm. So there's a huge compounding effect that goes on. You add a second minor factor, and we go to to seven years, and a third gives us an average of 40 years' time to pregnancy. No one has 40 years to get pregnant. Right, in seven is cutting it, uh, cutting it pretty tight. I mean, absolutely, seven is a huge amount, especially when you start at 30, right? And and things haven't been straightforward. And sometimes, you know, people start even earlier. I had a couple come to me who were trying for 20 years 
And I've put that story actually in Fertility Breakthrough, my book, which, by the way, mm-hmm. I'm more than happy to gift to anyone who's listening into the podcast. I'm sure that you can awesome. put the code yeah. in the um, in the show notes, and people can access that uh, as a gift from us. But um, you know, I've, in, in in this particular story, what was really fascinating, this couple came to me. They had already failed through multiple cycles of IVF. They had had multiple uh, natural treatments mm-hmm. that they had gone through. And really, you know, nobody had taken the time in 20 years. Think about that, Peter. In 20 years, no one had properly taken the time to understand what are all of the gaps in this case? What are all of the places of opportunity? What are the minor factors or obstacles that are getting in the way that are preventing the results that we want to see? And that's one of the things that over the years I have become immensely fascinated by and very meticulous in addressing because for me, what I want to see really is, okay, you are, you are being told that everything is normal, yet we, ha- we don't have a baby. We've, we've spent thousands and thousands of dollars on fertility treatments, which, mm-hmm. you know, it's not cheap. Depending on where you are around the world, you can be upwards of $30,000 for oh. one cycle. Oh, sure. Year. It's remarkably expensive. Yeah. Right. And so, and if you think about it, that, a retrospective analysis on reproductive medicine, assisted reproductive medicine that was conducted in 2016 demonstrated that in order to have a close to 80% life birth rate through IVF, you needed on average eight cycles of IVF. Is it that high? Is it that, that is insane? It, isn't it crazy? And so what happens is that if you, if you keep thinking that everything is normal, just keep trying, you know, eight cycles down the track, you may end up with a baby, but you may also not. And if you mm-hmm. have an average of eight, you would have people who have 30 and people who have two, right? And so <laughs> it's like, which one are you? And sometimes, you know, people just go, I cannot continue doing this. And fair enough. Because one of the things that I see in my clinic is that when couples come to us and they've tried multiple different things that haven't worked, we have a close to 80% love birth rate mm-hmm. by going through the process with 70% of those people conceiving naturally. And even though in the past they were told that, you know, they might need that, because this is the other thing that happens. They're told that um, everything is normal, just keep trying. Or when treatments don't work, oh, no, your eggs are no good, you need donorate. Sure, yeah. And this is, you know, something that most women will hear around their reproductive life. And the truth is, and I know that to be very different because in my clinic, as you know, part of the retrospective analysis that we've just conducted, I'm presenting that at Harvard next month as part of my master's in public health. And, you know, one of the things that we've ascertained is that for the vast majority of our patients who have been told that they need uh, donor egg in order to be able to take home a baby, mm-hmm. only 6% actually need donor egg. Six. That's a remarkable so, Absolutely, absolutely. And so when it comes to, you know, the question that you ask, where do people start and what is it that people do? Mm-hmm. I mean, the very first place that we need to start is understanding what are we actually dealing with, right? Because mm-hmm. imagine it from this perspective. So many people are told, oh, there's, you know, nothing wrong, keep trying, whatever else. But the truth is, when was the last time that you solved the problem that you didn't even know you had? Yeah, absolutely. Right? So if we don't get a clear diagnosis and a clear understanding of what's happening and why it's happening and 
what do we need to do about it in that specific situation, we again continue going around in circles. You see, what happens, and I see this very, very clearly in my clinic, is that you might have 10 men diagnosed with, say, low sperm motility, mm-hmm. which is it doesn't swim very well, yeah. right? The sperm doesn't swim very well. For those 10 men with low sperm motility, there might be 10 different reasons as to why that man has been impacted in that way. And this ties into a question that I get asked very frequently. And many people, especially those who, who are experiencing secondary infertility, which is the inability to conceive after previously being able to conceive and have healthy babies, mm-hmm. right, um, experience. And that is this, is that it's what I've come to call the heroin addict syndrome. You know, once I had a patient in my clinic, she, um, I know it's very strange, but once I tell you the story, you understand, I was puzzled when I first heard this, but I was like, what? Um, this woman, she's sitting across from me in my clinic and she's crying as, you know, it's normal for people who are struggling so much to have a baby. And all of a sudden, you know, I was sitting and holding the space for her and all of a sudden she gets really angry. I could see like her face transforming in front of me. I was thinking, oh, my God, (laughs) what's going to unleash here? And she goes, you know, maybe I should just start shooting up heroin. Maybe then I would get pregnant and have a baby. I'm like, hey, (laughs) that is a very strange and odd thing to say. But I thought, okay, let's understand where this is coming from. And so I asked her, I said, you know, that's a really interesting thing that you say, and I'd love to understand what made you say that and, and, you know, what makes you feel this way. She goes, well, you know, here I am doing all the right things. You know, I eat healthy, I exercise, I do all of the right things, and I can't have a baby. And so these heroin addicts out there who literally just have sex and pop out babies, you know, one after the other. And I was like, oh, Hey, now I understand where this is coming from. And I was able in that moment then to help her understand why that actually was the case. And I think that this is such an important thing to understand because we often think, you know, when we are experienced, and I personally have experienced secondary infertility, so I know exactly what that feels like. Actually, I experienced primary and secondary infertility. I had been diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is one of the, the most prevalent reasons as to why women of the reproductive age don't conceive. Mm-hmm. And I was able to address that through my own program and doing all the things that I recommend my patients to do and have my first child. And then between my first child and my second child, there was about a, a 19-month period where I had been trying, you know, to to get pregnant or wanting to get pregnant, but my cycles weren't even back and there was a lot of irregularity happening. And if I didn't do what it is that I do and know what it is that I know, I definitely know that I would have just been, you know, in that kind of roller coaster of being told everything is normal, just keep trying. Sure. But um, when this lady came and she said this, you know, it enabled me to help her understand something very important. And and it is the impact of the environment on our body's ability to respond, and that's to do with epigenetics. You see, we can be, we're born with women are born with all the eggs we will ever have. Mm-hmm. Men have a production of sperm that happens, you know, on a daily basis, essentially. And you know, the distinction and the difference between how our bodies are impacted will be determined by essentially what we are exposed to in our environment. 
So, you know, you might have a genetic predisposition, but it's only triggered by what goes on in your environment. For example, we probably have all heard of stories where somebody was, you know, has never smoked a day in their life and die of lung cancer. Yeah. When, you know, you have somebody else who's a chain smoker and has never developed any lung issues whatsoever. Mm-hmm. They might die of other things, right? But cancer wasn't one of them. Okay. And so, you know what I mean, right, Peter? Sure. So, so basically, it's this whole thing of the fact that the way in which our body responds, so the gene loads the gun, but the environment pulls the trigger. Absolutely. And so, if, right? And so, what happens is that for us, it's easy to contextualize and understand that we, our bodies, still very much operate like it did 10,000 years ago when our main aim was to run away from the saber-toothed tiger, mm-hmm. right? So the purpose was survival. Let's not worry in that moment of having to run away from the saber-toothed tiger. Let's not worry so much about digesting our food because we're about to become food. So that's not really important. And then, you know, nowadays it's translated into a lot of, a lot of gut and digestive issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But immune System-wise, why would you worry about, you know, the little bug inside of you when the big one <laughs> running after you is about to eat you? Sure. Let's not worry about that at all because that's not relevant in this moment. And then finally, reproduction. Why would you even consider or think of having a baby when you're about to become food, right? So mm-hmm. these organs and systems, when we are under stress, when we are feeling challenged, when we are having to adapt in our systems, even though we might not be running away from the saber-toothed tiger, but the body is responding in that same way, that fight-or-flight response kicks in, then what happens is that we are all of a sudden in a predicament. (laughs) (laughs) And the predicament is that we are going to have to focus our attention and energy and nutrients into the most important organs and systems that will help us ward off immediate danger. If we don't do that, we may not survive, therefore everything else becomes irrelevant. Mm -hmm. And so we focus our attention and energy on those systems and we shut down the ones that are not essential for warding off immediate danger. Hence why, you know, digestion, immune function, reproduction, all shut down to to a certain extent. And this is important for us to realize because when we understand that we've got these drivers in our kind of biology that helps us to regulate what goes on in terms of our reproduction, then we understand that, okay, there are exposures in our day-to-day environment that will trigger a response in our system depending on what's going on out there. Mm-hmm. And mind you, the saber-toothed tiger in this case, when we're talking about fertility, can be a toxic exposure. It can be a certain dietary exposure. It can be radiation exposure. You know, as I was talking about before, in terms of men with 10 different reasons as to why they might, you know, have different fertility problems. Mm-hmm. Well, for one man, he might keep his mobile phone in his pocket, which will decidedly affect his maturity. Mm-hmm. For another man, he might actually drive a truck for a living and what might happen is that he's sitting for most of the time, which will heat up his testicles and mm-hmm. also create maturity problems. For another man, it might be that he's taking a certain kind of medication that is not, you know, in the best, his best interest. For another one, it might be that he's having an unhealthy diet full of junk food, which has been 
completely directly correlated with lower sperm parameters. So can you see? And sometimes it might be a combination of all of those things to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about, you know, the fact that the heroin addict syndrome, if we go back to that, so we talk about the fact that, you know, we're doing all of the quote-unquote right things and not getting pregnant with somebody else who perhaps isn't and or, you know, the brother or the sister or the aunt who did all the wrong things and got pregnant. It doesn't actually matter (laughs) to the individual who is not getting pregnant, you see, because what happens is this. If your brother or your sister or your aunt or even your mother or even your grandmother smoked and were able to carry a healthy pregnancy term, and again, I'll put healthy in quotation marks mm-hmm. because we know that there are major impacts, you know, in terms of a, of a child's health. Just because they're born with one head and two arms and two legs doesn't mean that a child's healthy. Absolutely, right? yeah. So we need to take that into account. But let's just for all intents and purposes say that, yes, we've got a healthy baby. What we need to understand is that for that person, their weakness or their susceptibility in terms of their system is not their reproductive system. You see, for them, it might be their digestion or it might be their immunity or it might be their nervous system. Whatever it is, it's not their reproduction Mm -hmm. or at least not in this time of their life. And this is why I say that sometimes what we need to do really is we need to stop comparing ourselves to people we know, to other people out there and what has worked for them and what it is that they needed to do in order to overcome infertility and miscarriage because ultimately that will be different for every person who experiences this very challenge or this struggle because for you it might be that what's happening is that your reproduction is being directly affected by your Mm -hmm. environmental factors, by the things that are around you. And that is really all that matters. And with that in mind, then we need to ask the question, right, if that's the case, what are the places that are being affected? How are they being affected? And what do I need to do about them? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. See, see this is what I always tell all my listeners as well and all my members as well. You have to take the personalized approach. This is why I always tell people, stay away from Facebook and support groups and asking people, well, what do you do? Right? Because what other people did, like, I mean, uh, Wendy and I, uh, my, my wife and I don't have kids because, you know, we couldn't have kids. And we fairly early on were of the, okay, if it, does, if it isn't for us, it isn't for us. Um, but all you really get in the beginning is, well, you have to wear boxers, not briefs. Right, as when you're talking about low, but yeah, don't keep your phone because phone in the pocket is a thing now. The truck drivers, yeah, it's, it's the vibration that gets you. That that sort of thing. But other than asking, oh, what works for you, is not really a a good question to ask people um, to actually help yourself because you have mm. to. Everybody starts at a different place. Like when when yeah. you're talking, I always talk about the sat nav. As in, if you have to go to well, see, since you're in Australia, if you have to go to Melbourne, and I have to get to Melbourne, right? Then I mean, I come from the UK, and I have a different starting position. We have to <laughs> There's no point in me asking you how you got there because it's completely irrelevant from where I am, and and, yes, and that that absolutely. is that is very very key indeed. So, sorry, I think that's such a great that. analogy, actually, that you use because 
I agree with you 100%. You know, so many times people, we have a, a free online program that we run called the Fertility Challenge. Mm-hmm. And over the years, in fact, this is this year is the 10th year of the Fertility Challenge. It's been um, an event that has now seen over 140,000 people in more than 110 countries participate and gain immense value and understanding about what are the things that could affect them specifically. Because what you're saying is so true. And again, it goes back to that discussion, 10 men with fertility issues, why? Mm-hmm. Right? But I love that analogy of if we both need to get to Melbourne, being that you are in the UK and I'm in Sydney, Australia, it's going to be a very different view, a very mm-hmm. different process, a very different, you know, way. I might drive there, right? You yeah. might catch a plane. <laughs> you might decide to go by boat. It's going to take you a whole lot longer. But it's possible. Mm-hmm. Right, it's possible, and it might be that that's within your life's parameters that that's what you want to do. You might want to take a cruise to Australia, mm-hmm. right? And some other people might want to do it in a different way. And so, I think that that's also very important. It's about how does the individual wants to journey through that process also comes into consideration. But I agree that the absolute worst possible thing that people do, and I see this often because it wastes so much of their resources and so much of their time is ask another layperson, what do you think I should do or what yeah. have you done that has worked for you? Because mm. truthfully, they won't know. And sometimes, you know, I see people giving each other kind of recommendations in, yeah. in, in my group. And even though we put in that, you know, people should not be giving recommendations if they're not qualified to do yeah. so, people still do. Yeah. Um, they love, you know, we all love to kind of give our, our opinion. Um, and often I see the most incorrect types of recommendations be given. And I have to intervene. I have to jump in and say, okay, look, thank you for that. <laughs> and these are the things that you need to take into account and into consideration, you know, because otherwise, think about it. If you think that somebody else, if you give your power away and you think somebody else knows more than you, mm-hmm. and you then follow through that approach or you follow through that process, and really it gets you no closer to your outcome, you have wasted a lot of time and, and mm-hmm. I've seen already, you know, some of my patients have wasted years trying and, and implementing ineffective ways of getting to the outcome that they're looking for, yeah. right? And so it's, it's very sad to see because for so many, it actually spells the difference between baby or no baby. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that we also need to take very much into account when it comes to what it is that we need to do. On the other hand, and I think that this is something that's also very important for people to take into consideration and take into account, is taking that question inward. And what do I mean by that? You know, what do I do in order to overcome infertility? I think the very first thing that we can do, other than, of course, understanding what we're dealing with, which is the most critical part of this whole conversation, is Starting to inquire about one thing that I like to talk about all the time, which is how do I act pregnant now to get pregnant later? And I know that, you know, for a lot of people, when I first say that, they go, what does that mean? You know, especially men, they're like, I can't get pregnant. Yeah. So what are you talking about exactly? So this is where I always invite the gentleman to, you know, kind of indulge me for a moment and kind of imagine and pretend. <laughs> That you could get pregnant because, you know, I know that the population in the world will definitely decrease 
if that was the case, right? If men could actually get pregnant, oh yeah, there's birth, no chance of having more than one kid. <laughs> <laughs> it would, it would happen one time, and then it's like, no, not for me. <laughs> you do it now. Um, so you know, and I, look, I, it is a terrible joke, but I love to make it because I can only, you know, the men squirming through that whole idea is is actually quite funny to me. Um, <laughs> but if we were to consider. And again, let's just, you know, all jokes aside, pretend that both partners could get pregnant, just get a child and deliver a healthy baby. If that was the case, the most predominant question, and I hear this from my patients all the time, you know, when they get pregnant, the very first thing they ask is, am I going to have a healthy baby? Or mm -hmm. what can I do in order to have a healthy baby? And with that is how this whole process, this thinking, you know, process has started for yeah. me of actually now to get pregnant later because if you think about it from this perspective that if you had that you know that little baby inside of you right now and I was to ask you all right Peter one of the things that you would absolutely start doing mm -hmm. or stop doing right now in order to be able to give your child the best possible start in life give me a list Mm -hmm. uh, and I would ask for a list of what would you start doing and a list of what would you stop doing. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that based on your own habits, on your own lifestyle, on your own way of living, you would be pretty accurate in coming up with a list of the things that you would start and stop doing. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and there would, I, yeah. There would be ranked, like mm -hmm. number one top thing. Right, number two, number three, and so on and so forth. Does this make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I think everybody gets this. I, I I see this a lot with with personal training clients as well. Indeed, when you just everybody knows everybody knows what what they're doing that they shouldn't really be doing, and everybody kind of knows what they should be doing. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And so when we start to think about it in those terms, this is where it gets interesting because we know the things that we would absolutely start doing the things we would absolutely stop doing. And so in terms of how to act pregnant now to get pregnant later, to optimise your child's health, that is a concept and a premise that you put in place way before a conception is even in place. Mm -hmm. Because you see, by eight weeks gestation, a, a baby's health blueprint is set for the rest of their life. So they already have all of their little organs, all of their fingerprints. You know, what happens from eight, week, eight weeks onwards is that that little embryo develops and grows. Yeah. But everything else is pretty much set by that eight weeks. So what that means is that the time to optimise a child's health isn't at the site of a positive pregnancy test or a dating ultrasound. Mm -hmm. The time to optimise a a couple's chances of conceiving and taking home a healthy baby is way before a conception is even in place. Right. You see? And so that's that why sense. when we're talking about infertility, when we're talking about miscarriage, when we're talking about whether it's primary or secondary infertility or even unexplained infertility, we need to really understand this concept and start to operate from it. Mm -hmm. Because if nothing else as a foundation, and often that is not enough, Okay, to really, when the couple has been going through infertility for many years, we need to dig much deeper into the biochemistry because what I talk about often is this, whatever we see right now 
whether it's inability to conceive, inability to keep a healthy pregnancy to term, this is an end result. It's an outcome mm-hmm. of a biochemical chain reaction that has started way before the outcome has it can be seen. So that being the case, what we need to understand is that we don't just, you know, take one step back from the outcome to resolve the problem because that often, even though that's how IVF operates, mm-hmm. that often gives us more of the same result. And if that wasn't true, we wouldn't have a situation where we need, on average, eight IVF cycles to yeah. get close to 80% high birth rate. Okay? <laughs> no, no, absolutely. So, yeah, so you can want to argue with me on that point, but the reality is that we need to see what life demonstrates and certainly what science demonstrates is this fact. Mm-hmm. So we need to then walk back and it's almost like take a 10,000-step view, right, downwards of that whole situation and figure out, okay, what are we dealing with? How is it affecting us? What are the steps, the obstacles, the minor factors, the things that are actually getting in the middle of that biochemical chain reaction that's creating the outcome that we're seeing? And then from there, we start to go, okay, these are some areas of gap that we don't know what's happening here, that we need mm-hmm. to explore further, places of opportunity for us to explore further. And that's how we then build the case to understand on a very personalized and customized way what's happening for this person and this couple in this situation right now. Because what has happened previously, i.e. the fact that they've had two, three, four pregnancies before, but they're struggling to have their fifth, or they have had no pregnancies and they're struggling to have their first, or whatever permutation of that conversation we are having, the outcome is the same. We still don't have the healthy baby of our dreams in our arms Mm -hmm. that we want to create. And so we need to really backtrack and step back and go and not think, by the way, that this is just a woman's issue and a woman's thing to fix or resolve because fertility is a team sport. It takes 50% of the male contribution, which, in fact, the whole thing is 50% male, 50% female contribution, but each partner has to put in their 100%. Because if we don't have that, then we also end up with a situation where we're leaving an opportunity on the table. Mm-hmm. You see, a lot of times couples are told or a woman is told, oh, your eggs are no good, you need donor egg. And the reason that we see that in our clinic they don't really <laughs> is because we actually optimise both situations, both partners at the same time because, you see, the egg's responsibility to fix the DNA fragmentation at fertilisation mm-hmm. within the sperm. So if the sperm isn't the absolute best quality that it can be, guess what? The egg is going to have to utilize so much more of its energy resources, nutrients, and everything that it has to develop an embryo Mm -hmm. to fix the sperm. You see, which really at the end of the day is a waste of resources. Because if we already came at the situation with a sperm that is the best possible quality that it will ever be, we would be having a different conversation. The egg can, you know, um, portion and apportion that energy and that energy that it has to create the outcome that we're looking for to actually making that outcome possible, mm-hmm. then trying to fix the sperm and the DNA fragmentation within it and the yeah. toxins that need to be dealt with it and so on and so forth. You see, and hence why fertility is a team sport because you need both of those cells to be mm-hmm. working effectively together, okay? But if we 
take this premise further, which is the acting pregnant now to get pregnant later and understand that each partner needs to do their part in terms of this, this is one of the key differentiators from how we get the results that we get for our patients versus how standard therapy gets results for their patients. Because mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever went through assisted reproductive techniques with technologies or treatments with your, with your partner, with your wife, but what many couples experience is the fact that the man literally is just told a day and a time to come and drop a sperm sample. <laughs> yep, pretty much. Yes. Right? Yeah. And so what happens is it's like you might as well have a sperm donor mm-hmm. because that's really, you know, the contribution of that man to that situation where in truth there is so much more than it could be contributing. And most men that I speak to, they actually are really bummed out, for lack of a better word, <laughs> of the fact that, you know, they feel like, hang on a second, why is it that I am just being thrown aside in this whole conversation? They feel helpless, they feel hopeless because they can't make things better for their partner. But yeah. above all, they feel like, hang on a second, I want to help, but I've been told that there's nothing I can do. Mm-hmm. And is there anything more that's happening in any aspect of our lives to be told that, oh, no, there is nothing you can do to improve your situation, to yeah. improve your results? I, I really don't think there is, to be honest. No, it, it, it's right. It's, it's, yeah, I come back to the boxes and briefs sort of example. That is kind of the standard one. Uh, just make sure your balls don't get too hot. <laughs> <laughs> and that is yeah, pretty. Yeah. That, that is pretty much it. Uh, it's, it's exactly. It's 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 kind of like like what you said. I mean, we we went through the the early stages of now nah, we're a bit older. Let's see why this doesn't work. And the doctor indeed says, yeah, just drop off something and uh, drop drop something off. And that was pretty much the extent of it. Um, yeah. That's also where we left it because for us it wasn't that big a deal. I'm I'm fairly old school. If it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be. That sort of thing. And I'm not saying mm-hmm. everybody else should think that way. I'm just saying that that's how it was for us. Um, yeah. But it is indeed. I do hear from other people and other some of my clients that are going through um, IVF or any sort of that are struggling to conceive a third or a fourth even um, that the guy kind of just keeps doing what he's already doing. Mm. Not not intentionally wrong or anything like that, but quite often the, the onus and the pressure is all on the behavior of the woman, the hormonal levels of the, of of the woman, and there's very little um, little contribution asked of the man, other than yeah, if you could make it a bit less stressful around the house, that'd be nice. You know, if you could do the yeah. washing up every now and again, you'd be a top bloke. Well, done. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is that is pretty oh, much it. Wow. <laughs> I know. We, we, this is a I would have a bigger list for you. That's <laughs> yeah, for sure, Peter. I'm sure, I'm sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure most of my patients would too. <laughs> oh yeah, but it, it, it's right. yeah, it's that. But the, from, from the medical point of view, it's it's exactly like what you said early on. The, the it tends to be that when it comes to the NHS, at least, uh, as in. And not only the NHS, may I add, because we treat yeah. patients in every continent other than Antarctica. The majority of our patients live in the US, UK, mm-hmm. Australia. Yeah. But literally, we have patients in every continent. And I see this in medical systems around the world. Mm-hmm. The NHS is, you know, a. In fact, I mean, 
it's the same in the US because even though you don't have universal health care in the US, not every insurance company actually covers the full spectrum of yeah, fertility therapy. Yeah. So, and, and so what happens is people who actually end up having the best access to service are the people who can afford it. Mm-hmm. You see, and so what ends up happening is that there is a huge disparity in how people actually access the delivery of service. But also, this is the other issue that I think is so important to take into consideration, is that right now, no matter where you are in the world, if you go to your general practitioner and you have the conversation or you open your mouth and say, I'm trying to get pregnant and it's not really happening, they won't even ask you another question. They will literally no. just open up their little referral patch. They will give you a referral to an IVF clinic or an IVF mm-hmm. doctor. Yeah. And they'll say, here you go, just go and see the IVF doctor. So then people will go, okay, well, the doctor has told me to go and see my IVF doctor or the reproductive endocrinologist or whoever it is that can help me next. And they get there and literally the conversation is no more than five minutes to go, okay, tell me about your history and very minimal things really. They're asking about sexually transmitted infections. They're asking about last special periods. They're asking about regularity of cycle. Have you had, you know, your tubes checked? Have you had semen analysis done? Have you had an ultrasound? You know, are you ovulating? That is the extent of the conversation, which literally takes about five minutes. And then they're told, okay, well, look, here's um, the start date for your next cycle. I think that IVF is really the next best option for you. Start date is such and such. Come in and see the nurse on this day and pick up your drugs and get started. Yeah, like, that's pretty much hang how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> like, hang yeah. on, hold your horses. Yeah. Um, what can I do in order to improve my chances of getting pregnant? Oh, no, no, there's nothing you can do. No, the, this is pretty have that's I, have pretty I described standard. you have I described the average typical oh, infertility absolutely. experience. Yeah, and, and that's, yeah. I, I think that goes for <laughs> infertility stuff and all my all my listeners will relate this to their postnatal uh the postpartum issues journey as well, whether it's pelvic floor weakness or diastasis rex or anything like that, is usually ah, this is just what we're gonna do. Anything I need to do? No, yeah. you just need to shut up, do what I tell you to do. If if you could do that, that'd be awesome. Uh, because yeah. it's like you said, on 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 a ninety percent uh, on a ninetieth percentile scale, that that works, right? Yeah. For, for yeah. a large section, yeah. it works for enough people. Because and, and for and for your postnatal patients, it would be just a situation of oh no no, you just have to wait, just wait. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like yeah. Huh? How? Yes. <laughs> How exactly? Yeah, as, as How it, is that the magic. Case? Yeah, just it's, 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 it's like you said earlier on. Just give it time, and if it doesn't work, then we we would recommend surgery, um, because yeah. those are the only yeah. two. Uh, those are the only two things, and it it is exactly like that. There's what because it's it's what you said earlier on with regards to the health system is set up to function on a. On a macro level, it's not set up to function on on, on a micro individual level. Mm-hmm. We hope that it and, works you know, for the individual, but yeah, absolutely. And what's I think, in my opinion, you know, having studied cost effectiveness in healthcare at Harvard, I can say mm-hmm. that you know the main thing that healthcare systems around the world look at, and this is it broke my heart when I discovered this because I was like, I I was trained as a naturopathic doctor, have been working in this field for obviously the last twenty years. And, you know, when I learned that the way and the, the, the method of making decisions in terms of healthcare and population 
level decisions is that if the cost of treatment and prevention, if the cost of prevention mm-hmm. is the same as the cost of treatment, let's not prevent. No, because yeah. we might as well just treat the problem when it comes. Because yeah. if the cost is the same, then but then you've got to understand that <laughs> prevention and treatment are two very different things. I mean, think about it from this perspective, right? If the cost of preventing, I mean, my dad has been diagnosed two years ago. He was diagnosed with colorectal cancer. And it was quite a, a fast, you know, fast stage um, diagnosis because he hadn't had his colonoscopy that he should have. And in fact, men, please, if you're over 45, I know that they say 50, but just hear me out on this one. If you're over 45, go get a colonoscopy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and really, because he had hemorrhoids for years and years and years and years. And he just thought, you know, first of all, it's the whole, male, you know, kind of bravado of like nobody's going to touch my backside, you know, kind of thing. Um, So he had hemorrhoids for years that bled and he just thought that it was normal and part of his family history because most of his uh, brothers had the same. And so for years and years, instead of having, you know, his preventative assessments and screenings, he just didn't. And then one day it was like I was saying to him, like, what, you're 65, he was 65 by the time. Um, you have never had a colonoscopy. And he's like, no, I said, okay, this is where we need to draw the line, you know. Mm-hmm. So we badgered him and like literally, and I'm very good at that when I need to be. <laughs> so, you know, I was like constantly going, hey, have you booked in? Your, have you scheduled your colonoscopy? Hey, when is it all coming? I want to see it. So what ended up happening, it was just the thing that actually didn't kill him immediately because he was, he went to have his colonoscopy. Literally from the colonoscopy table, he went to have surgery. So very advanced, stage four cancer, colorectal, had to have many different types of treatments and lots and lots of different things. What I can tell you is that now he's had between chemotherapy, venal as well as oral, Mm -hmm. um, radiation therapy, multiple CT scans, MRIs, PET scan, you know, you name it. Now, had he actually done the work of prevention much, much earlier on, mm-hmm. the, the cost of the burden to his health, mental health, life, lifestyle, you know, and you name it, quality of life, mm-hmm. at this point would have been completely different. It's a completely different trajectory. Sure. Had him being proactive and figuring out, okay, what are the things that I can actually do to prevent an issue? Now, the cost of treatment is the same, and probably over time, the cost of prevention, because he probably would have been more aware of his food and his diet and his nutritional supplementation and other therapies and whatever else, the cost of prevention would have been similar, Mm -hmm. but the quality of life remarkably different. Yeah, absolutely. Not only for him, but for us. You mm-hmm. know, he's got basically. I've got. He's got myself and my sister, my mom. Mm-hmm. So you know, for us, it would have been a very different experience mm-hmm. had he been, you know, uh, more proactive in terms yeah. of what's going on, or what, in terms of what needed to have uh, happen for him. So this is the distinction. The reason that I give this analogy is because it's very stark, mm-hmm. right? For, for this kind of situation, we can't usually see that on a fertility situation play out just as stark and majorly. Um, but really, it's a similar thing. 
And so when the cost of prevention equals or is similar to the cost of treatment, we don't prevent. And it's like, why? Mm-hmm. Because our quality of life experience down the track is remarkably different when we do. Absolutely. And I think that's a really important takeaway, you know, for most people, because there is a link between fertility and mortality mm-hmm. or infertility and mortality. So if there are issues that are going on that are preventing a couple or an individual from creating a healthy baby, we really need to understand why, because there are links in terms of, you know, fertility being a biomarker for optimum health. Mm-hmm. And again, this is where the conversation of prevention versus therapy and treatment becomes an important one. Because if we don't know what we don't know and we don't know what we need to address because we don't even know what's getting in the way of creating the outcome that we want, it might be cancer precursor. You know, it might be other biofactors or Mm -hmm. biomarkers that need to be addressed but that will eventually develop into much more um, difficult to treat and resolve disease. So we need to figure out, okay, what are we dealing with so that we not only prevent the heart shape of infertility, but we also have an impact, positive impact, on our long-term quality of life mm-hmm. down the track. That and makes I think a that's a ton very of sense. important piece as well. Yeah, because that, again, that is not something that you would consider. We are very good as, as humans, especially this day and age, at only looking at the now. We're not that great yes. at looking back too far, as in, like what you said, take your 10,000 10, steps and, and, and look, take, take the overall view, and we're terrible absolutely terrible at looking into the future we just know that right now we don't have time for something and you know it's the same as if you don't make time for your health you'll make time for your illness later on it's it's that sort of thing um you know if you if you eat crap food now yeah you're not sick immediately i i get it but keep doing it and 20 years from now we'll be having a different conversation Absolutely. And, you know, on that, it's actually quite interesting because nutritionally and when we look at nutritional epidemiology as a matter of exposure being the mm-hmm. diet yeah. and, you know, disease being the outcome, we know that there are so many links between diet, i.e. exposure, mm-hmm. and disease, the outcome of infertility. And what a lot of people, what you said is actually, the, you know, the, the reason as to why we don't pay so much attention to it is because we think that that cake full of trans fats and damaged components and artificial, you know, everything um, now has a lesser cost than the missing out on the cake. Yeah. Right? So the, yeah, the lesser right. cost yeah. is, you know, we don't equate the cost to our health in the long term to the pleasure that we're going to have right now. It's like, you know, if I can have the pleasure right this minute and that's mm-hmm. going to taste good on my taste buds for five minutes and the potential of disease is really 20 years down the track, I'll just eat the cake. Yeah, it, and um, it's, it's, I, I always put it even starker than that. Uh, I use the Pringles example, you know, the whole can of Pringles. I always tell people, have five Pringles. If you want a Pringle, have five Pringles, max, and then throw the rest out. And people usually look at me like I'm absolutely insane. And I explain to them, a can of Pringles over here is like two quid, so $3 or something like that, uh, three American dollars. Um, if you have five, then you'll be fine. You've had, the, you had, you've had your fill of Pringles, and the law of uh, diminished returns then applies. You eat number six and seven, even though you don't really want to, but you have them. A, a, a personal training session with me 
Isn't that 40 quid? Eat that can of Pringles and you'll pay 40 quid for a, for a PT session. And it's it's cheaper to throw the Pringles out. And we're not even talking about health implications. It just is. Just buy some, throw them in the bin, because it's cheaper to do that than it is to finish the things. Um, and it's yeah, exactly that. In, in the moment, the consideration is just, well, I have them. I want them. Um, yes, yes. No, look, I actually, I love your analogy. And it also makes me laugh because isn't it interesting? And I think that you probably will see this all the time, you know. And isn't it interesting how people think that exercise is such a painful thing to do, mm-hmm. that they have to do it, that it's, it's like a punishment on them? Mm-hmm. As opposed to having a different view, and, and again, this equates very much to fertility as well and to modifiable risk factors in terms of fertility because the, the power that we have in the moment in terms of, of, of our modifiable risk factors is the power of adjusting aspect of our lifestyle, of our environment, mm-hmm. of our diet, you know, all of that. And most people equate the ability to do those things to punishment because think about it. It means that they would potentially quit smoking and mm-hmm. they would quit drinking alcohol and that they would quit, you know, doing these things. And they think that that's punishment, right? Yeah. But you see, the reality is that those things are the very things that makes us be sick and unhealthy and unable to have the quality of life in our future that we want to have. Yeah. And isn't it interesting that when we change that conversation from having to, you know, I have to eat well or I have to exercise mm-hmm. to a conversation of, you know what, so many people will wake up today in an ICU bed in a hospital who will probably not make it through the day. Mm-hmm. And I get to exercise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I get to make life healthy lifestyle choices. I get to have healthy, nutritious, nourishing food. Like for me, that is a conversation game changer. <laughs> Siri's talking to me on my phone, on my on my watch. Um, that is a game changing conversation, as far as I'm concerned, from that internal motivation perspective. Because if I can all of a sudden realize that actually this is not a punishment, and not only mm-hmm. it's not a punishment, it enables me to be able to do the things that I value the most in my life, whatever that might be. If you're a painter or an artist or if you are whatever it is that you you do, that you love, that you value, and you can actually start to correlate and understand how you doing the things that get you to be at your best actually enable you to do the things that you want to do in your life, again, the conversation changes completely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, and it's so important for people to to really connect those dots in that way because otherwise what we end up with is this whole kind of mindset victim mentality of, oh, I'm being punished that I need to actually do these things to improve my fertility. It's like actually you are the lucky one, my darling, Mm -hmm. because if the heroin addict had to do these things and had the need to do these things, probably would save her life in the long term. Mm -hmm. Sure. So I think that's such a, a vital thing. And I mean, for me, I actually have to say that just this is a completely personal note. I know that um, when I had my children, I have my children are now nine and six. I, I had that mindset. You know, I had the mindset of like I was completely exhausted having given birth to two children, breastfed for two years each. So literally 
four years of breastfeeding and, you know, pregnancy and all of that, running a clinic, running, you know, a, a, well, a global clinic with staff and all mm-hmm. of this. And I was exhausted. I was feeling like, gosh, this is just all too much. And so I let my health go, mm-hmm. my health go to a huge extent until one day I realized I couldn't, my, my, my strength was so poor. Um, in terms of my back muscles and I was getting supplementations mm-hmm. of my ribs all the time. Like literally I couldn't even hold a two-year-old. You know, like I, I was still breastfeeding my two-year-old. I would literally put in my arms to be able to breastfeed or I would carry him and you could be sure I'd have a supplementation of my rib and I had to go mm-hmm. to my chiropractor three times that week to be able to breathe. And it was this horrible situation until one day I realised that, hang on a second, I can't live like this. Mm-hmm. You know, if I continue making these choices that don't support my health, my well-being, and my life, my life in 20 years from now is going to be a very different outcome that I don't want to even experience. I don't mm-hmm. even want to think about it. So that's when I then decided, okay, I need to do something completely different. And postnatally, you know, you do need to take care of your body in a different way. I mean, for me, I started... With, you know, I went to a physio to figure out what was happening in terms of my pelvic floor, in terms mm-hmm. of my ab- abdominal muscles, and, you know, all of that. And I think that that's really such an important thing to be able to train. And I found a trainer that could actually help me with postnatal training mm-hmm. because it's very different, you know, from you just as a healthy young person doing oh, whatever awesome. training it is that you think you, you need to do. It's a very different situation. So I love what it is that you're doing because it really does give women a complete different understanding of their body and how to really support themselves through that process. Yeah, no, no, you're bang on. You're absolutely right in that if you take that approach of a bit of gratitude, and I've had people on the podcast before that, like gratitude coaches and all that sort of stuff, and I'm not that far down the line. I, I don't keep a gratitude journal, but much like yourself, I used to have a proper job like 10, 15 years ago, and the level of stress that that brought with it because I'd been raised on the whole make as much money as you can work as hard as you can retire by the time you're 65 and then you travel then you then you get to have fun that, that sort of thing <laughs> <laughs> you know, yes that, the, the downside is you have a heart attack by the time you're 45 but it's a price of pain right <laughs> but you have a nice house and a big car and all that sort of stuff and yeah, yeah. So, so I, I had to do the same I had to do the same I just had to take a step back and just go but dude if I'm not enjoying what I'm doing now then what's the point and I don't mean yeah. that in a in a in a way that a lot of people seem to think that exercise uh, or eating healthy and all that sort of stuff, eating healthy gets me to feel nice. As in, mm. it means I can feel nice the following day. If I just eat Domino's mm. an entire day, I feel like crap the following day. Mm. Um, mm. So I get to feel nice, and I can afford decent food because I'm lucky, and I, I live in the UK, and we have relatively cheap and easy access to good quality produce and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I get to do those things. So it's not the, I have to give up loads of stuff to get mm. what I want, because what I want mm. is actually, I think what most people want is actually the, the simple things. It's like what, what you're talking about with regards to, with regards to, with regards to fertility, having a child is one of the simple things, right? It's, it's a stupid business decision economically out of your mind <laughs> to have kids right? very expensive indeed it's, it's remarkably <laughs> pricey there's never a good time to do it 
if you just look at, look at the bank balance, it's never a good time yes. to add another child to the family because it's going to cost you 250 grand. And plus, plus <laughs> yeah, and all the stress and all that sort of stuff that, that, that comes with it. Over a couple of decades at least. <laughs> yeah. And then, so to get to enjoy the simple things, you, you don't have to give much up. Is, is what I find. Mm. You just have to yeah. indeed say, okay, if if I want to be able to get to enjoy this, which is exactly what, what you're doing, then I'm going to have to make certain changes that will benefit my benefit me as well. I, I like how you put the whole, the fertility is an indicator for future health sort of thing as well. Mm. As in, if, if mm. you don't pay attention to certain things now, it's going to, it's likely going to bite you in the bum later on anyways yes absolutely so absolutely it's, it's actually it's a it's a in a way it's a positive thing that people would be able to gain access to a fertility expert such as yourself i'm not talking about the nhs ivf type sort of stuff but mm. that will really have a more of an in-depth look into guys if, if you change this behavior if you change this situation if you do X, Y, Z, you get to be healthier. And that in turn is like going to be likely to lead to the baby that you want as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, the, the key takeaway message here is that there is so much people can do. You know, mm-hmm. there is, you can take charge of a result. Whatever your, your past is not a predictor of your future. If you adjust the way in which you understand your situation, and if you adjust the way in which you act within it, mm-hmm. together as a couple, there is an incredible amount of change and optimization that can occur that absolutely leads to a different outcome. And most of the time, people need to understand that they can't do it on themselves. They can't do it on their own. They need to be able to have the guidance because what I often see, and this is very unfortunate, people come to me, they're doing so much. Mm-hmm. They're doing so much that they're overwhelmed. You yeah. know, like they're doing 80% of the work that unfortunately only gives them 20% of their result. Yeah. So in essence, what ends up happening is that they continue going around in circles, even though they are doing so much and unfortunately exhausting themselves in the process mm. and impacting their relationship because, you know, then people get really disheartened and then people start to argue about the fact that, you know, one person wants to do it, the other person doesn't want to do it, simply because they actually haven't had the understanding of, okay, for you, the 20% of the effort that you need to put in is this, and that is going mm. to give you 80% of your results. And really only someone with a trained eye can give you that understanding, right? Yeah. So you can certainly spend the next 20 years trying to figure out, but that is probably going to make you run out of time to have a baby altogether. And that is the joy of the internet. Now, I know there's a lot wrong, and I slag social media off, a lot, but the joy of the internet now is that someone in the UK can just go online, they can look you up, and they can just say, I have an expert in Australia that I can use that I have access yeah. to, uh, yeah. whereas someone in America can can find me in Scotland. And that just it never yes. used to be it never used to be that way. And it's insane. Yes. And it's nice that you're able to connect with people. And I'll come back to the support group thing again. It's nice that you're able to connect to people in similar situations. But just remember that it's even nicer that you get to connect to experts yeah, on, the global, on the global level. So it's nice to ask random people what they're doing. It's much smarter to just go, 
yeah. through this expert in all this sort of stuff. And you just go, hey, uh, Gabriella is, is available because I can just check out a website, fill in the contact form or do, do whatever I need to do and get in touch yeah. that way and, and get some real help. Rather than, rather than generically guessing and hoping to stumble upon the way that works for you, which is the, yeah. that's the way it works for postnatal exercise. That's the way it works for any sort of rehab exercise. That's the way it works for fertility. That's the way, or, you know, if you yeah. find someone with the knowledge to help you out, that can immediately spot, oh, this is what you're doing. Yeah, and absolutely. It makes all the difference. It's the difference between having the outcome that you're looking for and not. And, and I think yeah. that, you know, for most people, it kind of is of the essence. You know, fertility in particular, it is finite. We can't just be going around year after year thinking that we're doing something and getting the kind of lack of results mm-hmm. and continuing to do that without the cost that is associated with that, which is the inability to have the outcome that you're looking for, the inability to hold the healthy baby of your dreams in your arms. So absolutely, Peter, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head. So thank you so much for having me. No, it's, you know, it's been, been such a, a wonderful pleasure. It's been awesome. On that happy note, I'll press stop record. And that is where we left the interview. Thanks again very much to uh, Gabriella for coming on. Um, like I, I told you guys, did I not tell you guys that you would love this? It was one of my favorite interviews to do. And obviously, she's based in Sydney, which meant that I had to get up at like one o'clock in the morning to do the interview at half past one in the morning. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but if but chances are you are, you know, when you're having a half decent night's sleep. And you get up, you have to get up to do something. And yeah, Jesus, I can't be bothered. Well, that was never the case of this one. I went back to bed at three o'clock and I was still excited about this amazing interview. Um, like I, like you could tell, I mean, we, we touched on loads and loads of subjects uh, here. There's tons of links in the podcast description about where you can find Gabriella. Uh, and she's very kindly. And this is a superb offer that she's given us. She's very kindly offering every listener of the Healthy Postnatal Body Podcast a free, free physical edition of her latest book, Fertility Breakthrough, Overcoming Infertility and Recurrent Miscarriage When Other Treatments Have Failed. This is a must-read. Usually, this is a great offer. This is usually like $40 or something like that. So this is not like a like a shitty e-Kindle book that everybody gets. This is not a pamphlet. This is the real deal. Um, and you can get it for free. Just enter the code HPNB free. That's Hotel Papa November Bravo Foxtrot Romeo Echo Echo. So just HPNB and free. Uh, also in the podcast description. When you go to our website, you add the book to your cart, and there you go. It's all yours if you apply the coupon, uh, the the coupon, the coupon code, and it will be shipped to you. To you, to you. The code is also in the podcast description, of course. Right? Again, thanks very much to Gabriella for coming on. I had a blast. This was one of the most fun. I've been so lucky the last couple of weeks with Dr. Candy Burton coming on. And now Gabriella very kindly giving up a whole hour of her time. Um, and, you know, that is what it is. These lovely people come on to my crappy little podcast. <laughs> <laughs> where I just answer people's questions and they donate a whole hour of their time. It's much appreciated. Um, if you have any questions at all, of course, as always, if you'd like to come onto the podcast, peter at healthypostnatalbody.com. If you're an expert and you're like, hey, Pete, you haven't touched on this subject yet, 
Peter at healthypostnatalbody.com. Right? This is what we do on the Healthy Postnatal Body podcast. We we just throw as much information uh, out to you as we can, give you expert advice, expert interviews, and put you in touch with people that know what they're talking about. So if you're struggling to conceive at the moment or you're thinking about it and you're like, what do I do? First of all, you get Gabriella's book. Like I said, you can get it for free. So we're not even selling anything here. And then you make sure you connect with Gabriella. All the links are uh, are uh, in the podcast description. Uh, she also hosts a podcast, by the way, which is coming out, which will be awesome, no no doubt at all. And, of course, you can go to her website and, and you can contact her and all that sort of thing. Like I said, thanks very much. Uh, that's me for the week. New bit of music coming up. You have a tremendous week. And next week, I have another guest for you. Oh, yes, I am that bloody lucky. Tell all your friends, of course, about the podcast. Rate the podcast. Like the podcast. Give us a like. Please. Right. Have an awesome week. Bye, guys. Thank mm-hmm. you.